The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Naveed, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I, uh, I'm a student of mathematics. I'm an applied mathematician uh, who is now working uh, as a co-founder and CEO at Dollar, where we, we, you know, we're helping people get to zero student debt. Uh, and you know, I must say that I am a student of your podcast. I'm such a huge fan. I've listened to probably every episode. So to anybody who's listening to this for the first time, please just take the time. It's worth it. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. And I, I admire the work that you do, too. Um, as, as a lawyer who's married to a doctor, our, our student loan debt is laughable <laughs> at this point. So I admire your mission. We're, we're, today, we're going to talk about managing conflict within the startup world, specifically within our own businesses, if we're starting our own companies. And so before we get into the three things that we're going to talk about, can you tell us why it's so important for people to understand this critical aspect of the business world? So I'm going to probably end up parroting something that you know that you say a lot of times that the the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and I think that itself is reason enough uh, because what we do as a startup and you know especially at the beginning what we're doing is trying to learn about who our customers are, what really if there's really a pain we have to have conversations with them you have to convince somebody to take the time to speak to some random dude who's like hey please help me out. So there's a lot of, uh, everything is about a conversation. Absolutely. No, this is great, man. This is going to be fantastic. And listeners, the three things we're going to talk about today are first, uh, navigating those difficult conversations with your co-founder. And then we're going to talk about navigating difficult conversations and negotiations with vendors. And then the partners that we have within the business. So um, even if you're not in the startup world, there are going to be gems in this episode that you can use and apply to, to whatever it is that you're working on. And Naveed, let's go ahead and get started with the first one. Why, what are the things that we need to pay attention to with co-founders? So it's really interesting that when you start off, you, know, you have to decide who owns what and who has which uh, uh, authority or you know the the ability to make decisions and there is a difference between owning a part of the business and you know being able to decide uh, how the business goes and so that's a really interesting you know let me let me tell you a story about the probably the hardest conversation I've ever had in my life and it happened in the last two weeks oh wow with my co-founders right so in the beginning and you know oftentimes this happens is that human beings, you know, things are the difficult things. We tend to get a bit lazy about them or we just, we, we like, it's okay. I'll sort that out later. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I made a big mistake. 
I made a huge mistake at the beginning, 15 months ago, when we started this, 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 uh, this enterprise, you know, I laid out the equity and I was like, this is, I think what should, what should be fair. And everybody was like, yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and, and do it. And very recently we were trying to bring somebody new on board to join our team, very accomplished individual, going to make a huge impact. And I had the opportunity to go back and look at their equity structure. And I realized that I had really messed up. I messed up because it was grossly unfair to some people based on, on what they could contribute and their experience. And so now I could have, you know, two things. Nobody had complained about it. So nobody else was, was worried about it, right? Like they're like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is the facts. This is how we're going to operate. But I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself. I, I couldn't sleep. I was like, there's a, there's a, it is unfair for me as a representative of these people who have trusted me to continue to let this persist. And so now I had to figure out the hard conversation. Now, how do I approach this person who does have the, one might say the unfair advantage against the others and say, look, we need to, we need to talk about this and we're going to have to reduce it. Nobody's going to complain if you tell them, Hey, we're going to give you some more equity. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when you come in, you, when you, when you come in and say, listen, we have to, we have to reduce things that we agreed to in the past. And this is a big deal because at the startup, all you have is equity, right? Like it's worth absolutely zero dollars at zero cents, <laughs> you know, maybe even negative. So, uh, so it was, it was extremely difficult. I had to really think about it. And, you know, listening to your podcast, listening to negotiating and negotiating a podcast, I realized it's very important to do a couple of things. One is to form a framework. How do I think about these things? How do I approach these conversations? Uh, and the second is to realize that not every, just because you can have a conversation doesn't mean that you need to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, so, you know, I try to use that framework. It's okay. What, what, how do I approach this? The first is, you know, I need to have a conviction in that what I'm seeking out to have a conversation about the outcome that I'm, I'm pursuing that I believe it is the right thing to do. And it is fair, not only for myself, but also for that other person. Now, you know, in, Fairness cannot does not necessarily translate to winning, but but, but uh, that it is fair, and I have a strong belief in in that. So then you have a conviction, fairness, and then I find that it works best for me when I'm completely transparent. That is how my personality is, and so if I don't if I don't take advantage of that transparency, things don't tend to work out for me. You know, some people are better at you know holding some cards back or not, and for me it's just much simpler if I just say, look, here's where I'm approaching this from. These are the reasons why we're having this conversation. Now you should tell me what you think. What do you think is the expected outcome from this? And so that's how we approached this. It was, it's easy to say in retrospect, but it was, it was so difficult for both of us, right? So from his perspective, imagine how you would feel if somebody came in, somebody you trust, some, one of your best friends came in and said, listen, you're going to have less of this company when you wake up tomorrow. It's awful. It's an awful feeling. And so I had to, I had to think about it. Like, how, how am I going to go and tell my best friend this thing? You know, that's a, it's a very hard thing. And then the second thing is, is uh, that, he, you know, I would prefer that he agrees with me. He could, he could say no. And then, you know, and then what happens? And so I have to prepare for that as well. What if, oh man, this is an opportunity for me to try to be a, a good student, say, Bad now. So I had the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. <laughs> so so uh, I'm, I'm so proud of myself for saying that. But, but, so, so, you know, I had to be prepared. Just, like It was completely fair for it. It would be completely fair for him to say, look, I've wasted 15 months of you. I trusted you. And you're saying these things. Are, I don't believe that it's fair. You know, he, it was his right to say that. 
So I had to be prepared for that as well. And so we had this conversation over, over you know, a few, several days. And, you know, fortunately, we were able to come to, the, to, the, to an agreeable uh, outcome. But it was so hard, especially because it was only the two of us, right? And especially because I didn't have a personal stake in it. Right? I had to, leadership is so hard in many ways that people, maybe until you experience it in this way that you really appreciate what, how difficult it is. Because, you know, there are some people who just their personalities or their experiences, they don't, they're not prepared to negotiate or they don't think about negotiating. Right? They say, ah, that sounds fair. Yeah, I'm okay with it. And so when I come across the situation and I say, okay, it, these people should have negotiated and maybe asked for more because it would be completely fair to do that, I can't just ignore it. At least that's not who I am. I wouldn't be able to look at them in the face and say, I, you know, we're building this together. Believe in what my mission, my vision, our vision, let's do it. I can't do that if I believe I'm being unfair to somebody. So I had to negotiate on their behalf and it was extremely difficult. I had no personal interest. I had no personal gain or loss, potentially a loss actually by losing a co-founder, right? Uh, but uh, so that was, it, it was, it was really, really interesting. And, you know, those conversations happen at the micro level all the time, but doing, you know, co-founders disagree. I'm sure you probably disagree with your, with your, you know, co-founders all the time. It's a natural thing. It's a good thing. There's constructive disagreement, but uh, in, in this particular context, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Wow. Wow, that is an incredible story. And first, I appreciate you taking the time to share that with us um, because I know that it was a tough conversation. There's so many good things in here that we can highlight, Naveed. Let's, let's pull out a couple. So the first one is this. The conversation did well, right? It ended up going well. Now, here's the thing. It went well even though you felt a lot of angst about the conversation, a lot of tension, a lot of fear. And a lot of times people see that fear and then they use it as a signal to avoid the conversation. This means I shouldn't do it, right? But you had to go through it. And I think that's one of the toughest things for people to understand is that with these conversations, that feeling of satisfaction or comfort or okayness with the fact that the conversation even has to happen, that doesn't always come. And I think in the majority of situations, for me, at least it doesn't. I recognize, though, I need to push through it. And that's what you did, which was great. Another one, too, was the fact that you took some time to think through it. And so, listeners, I'm, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the negotiation guides, of course. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can get all those guides to help you prepare for your difficult conversations. And for you, one of the major aspects of the preparation was figuring out what fair was. Because fairness is a very nebulous concept, but the fact that it's nebulous and subjective doesn't mean that it is not very real to the people who are involved. Everybody has a personal sense of fairness. And so you had to figure out uh, what that was in this situation and then operate on that truth for you. While at the same time, which is perhaps the most difficult, recognizing that your co-founder has the same right and authority uh, to, to share what he feels is fair in that situation too. And then you have to reconcile those two things. And especially when a, a company is at, at its inception right now, you're 15 months into it. So you have, you actually have something a bit more tangible, but especially at the beginning, it's really tough to figure out what is fair in this business that's yet to exist. <laughs> right. Understanding that that's going to have a significant impact down the road on future decisions and everything like that. So there, there's a lot in this story that we can learn from. And now that it's done, looking back, what do you think was the most important thing that you learned through that experience, having that conversation with your partner? 
one might say it was a reinforcement of a previous belief in that transparency is really the best approach. Being honest about why we were having that conversation and the process by which I got to even asking him to meet with me about it was extremely important. And, you know, so perhaps there's another one. In retrospect, now that I think about it, uh, it's, it's very easy when you have these kinds of conversations to start talking about performance mm. as a justification. And naturally, I was inclined to do that as well. But I recognized, fortunately, I recognized it was a mistake. Because we were not talking about performance. We were talking about a fair distribution of equity. And uh, that was a wonderful turning point in our conversation for me and I think for him as well, is to understand that we can talk about performance on one hand and we can talk about this, the contribution, uh, reasonable reward for the contribution given the experience, given you know, other things. That's fascinating. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And when you look at your experience as a co-founder and then you look at other people in the startup space who have co-founders, what are some of the biggest mistakes you feel as though they make early on in those early conversations with their co-founder? This is a personal belief of mine. I don't think people spend enough time speaking about how to speak with each other. And the reason that we, I think we were able to have this conversation, 
the hardest thing I've done in my life, probably. <laughs> yeah. Like the reason we were able to have this conversation and I felt comfortable speaking with this person about it was we take culture very seriously, but when we say culture, what we mean is is a language. Like how do we speak with each other? Starting with how I express myself, how do you express yourself, how do we express ourselves together? You know, what does it mean to measure performance? Where we miss, we're a startup. We're going to miss goals. You know, we're going to miss deadlines. It's going to happen. How do we deal with that in retrospect? Developing that language, you know, the, the, my, 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 my parents always said that language embodies culture. And so that's why we spend so much time. We don't talk about we're going to go on an outing. We're going to go do this thing or we're going to have a group meeting. We talk about how to speak. And so that was really, really, really helpful, I think. And I think the mistake that people make is they don't spend enough time on that. Oh, that's great. I think about it. it I mean, it's a relationship. I, I remember with, um, so uh, of course, I'm a lawyer. I still practice too at a, a law firm in Columbus called Carlisle Patchett and Murphy. So I really love the fact that you're talking about these conversations uh, about business partnerships, because this is something that I have to deal with with my clients all the time. It's two friends coming together and they say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll just do it 50-50. I'm like, please, please do not. Let's, can we please stop and think about this for a second here? Because if you just do it 50-50, then it really leads to a deadlock very quickly. And then decision-making isn't really properly attributed, uh, attributed to the right person. And that's another thing. And is it, it's very rare that it's truly 50-50, right? It's very rare because down the road, then it becomes very clear what it really is. And then there's a lot of resentment. So I always have to work through with my clients. Hey, let's think through this at a, on a deeper level. But I remember one of my mentors, he said, um, Kwame, the, the, a business partnership is a relationship that is second only to marriage. And I, I didn't think about it from that level of gravity, but it makes sense. And um, I, I try to impress that upon the, uh, my, my clients all the time, even though the majority of what I do now is with the negotiation trainings with A&I, but still I practice in that regard. And it's still a tough conversation, even for me to have um, between the, uh, the, the partners. And the thing is, it's kind of like those love languages between relationships. You know, what, how do you speak? Is it gifts? Is it acts of, acts of love, right? Is it quality time? Those type of things. Similar thing in the business world. Is it quality time spent in the business? Is it the fact that you are um, caring about me in a certain way? You know, my, uh, my chief operating officer here, Catherine, uh, she's more introverted. And so um, that's one thing. So I have to recognize, I have to slow down in these conversations and give her time to process. And then I describe myself as the gas pedal and she's the brakes. I'm always ideating, this will be good, this will be good, this will be good. And her role is to slow me down. And at the beginning, I thought it was a real drag. But then once we started to communicate about how to communicate, I recognized that it played a, an, an essential role in the business. And so you're absolutely right. Taking time to essentially negotiate the rules of engagement before we actually commit to each other is, is a critical part of the process. I, I love that so much. And, you know, honestly, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I learned a lot about that from this podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's so important. And, you know, conversations are comprised of words, right? Like, so words are very important. If you came to me and you said, as a friend, you said, hey, my guy, you're, you're underperforming. That's a very different, I would receive that very differently than if you came to me as my boss and you said, hey, you're underperforming. Like those are the same words coming from different people that mean very different things. And what happens is like, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of venture capitalists, so you'll hear people say that you should not start a business with your best friends because oftentimes these things are overlooked. Right. Uh, and so 
you know, we have already established that communication relationship as friends, as buddies, as co-conspirators and, and, you know, whatever things that we're trying to do. But now we have a different, there's a very different, and I'm, I'm the boss. And it's very difficult to come to terms with what that means. It doesn't, like, things change and we have to accept that. When we are speaking in a certain fashion, when we're talking about the business, it's very important that, that I have to make sure that, and, you know, the, the, it's, it's for both of our benefits, I think, that when, uh, when I say both of I mean the person who's speaking and the person, look, I'm, I'm really messing this up. There are two people involved. There are two people involved and we both have to understand that dynamic that we're, we're, we're operating under. Uh, and so, because at the end of the day, why do we do this? We do this because we want to help people. Can we help people if we're constantly scribbling ourselves? If we haven't figured out how to talk, no, we can't help those people. We, and, you know, and then we have to figure out how do we speak with our, with our, you know, the, our, our customers, our future customers. It's, it's extremely important. No, this is good. No, this is fantastic. And I feel like we could have spent the, the, the whole episode talking about just the co-founder aspect, and we might have to come back and go deeper. But I think this is a great time to, to transition to the vendor side. And so what types of things do we need to keep in mind when it comes to negotiating with the vendors? My answer is always going to be to be 100% transparent about where you are. There's nothing as disappointing as getting on a call with somebody who expects to be talking to a customer who has a thousand, a thousand users and finding out that you're pre-launch. You've just started off the whole relationship wrong. So it's, it's very important. And you know, the thing is that oftentimes as from a startup, the power dynamic is so different, right? You have zero power, literally. Um, so we are in the student loan repayment business. That means we have to make payments to the big loan servicers. We refuse to write checks. We, we insist on making digital payments. That is our stance. And so if we want to make digital payments, we have to convince them to give us their account numbers. And we have to convince them to, to do work so that we can send them information about how to distribute the funds that we send them. From what pedestal? You know, like, how do I come and tell you, hey, I'm a team, we've got four people, we're ready to send you money probably in two months. <laughs> but I mean, obviously it's not, that's, it's not, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm being, I'm trying to be funny here, but the, so the power dynamic is very different. And so really the thing that the thing that we noticed, we experimented a few different times. How do we speak? What really gets us results? And it, it came down to honesty. Like, this is what we do. This is who we are. This is where we're at. This is where we expect to go. We need a favor from you. Hmm. That's powerful, Naveed. That's really powerful because when I think about it, we're, we're seeing how your philosophy in, in having difficult conversations with people on your team, your co-founders, it it's really is it's manifesting itself here again with the conversations with vendors because, number one, it's transparent, and number two, it's mission-driven, right? You have your core value that you're sticking to, and that is what is being the, the force behind the argument, right? And I shouldn't even say argument, the conversation, your stance. And so in the first side, in the first um, case study that you provided us, essentially it was um, fairness. This is at this point unfair. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not anybody's fault, but it has evolved to become unfair. And this is how we can solve this problem. And you have to be assertive. And it took some time, but you got there. And here with the vendors, you're coming with something that's completely different completely different than what they've ever de dealt with and they are large established financial institutions and you're coming in and saying you know what this is how we see it and this is how we believe it should be done and that must have been 
quite frightening the first few times you did it, but it, you were able to make it work. And so in those instances, when you recognize that from the outside looking in, it might seem like a David and Goliath type of situation. How were you able to stand your ground and hold firm in those tough conversations? Because we had conviction. We had conviction. We knew what we were doing was the right thing. We knew we were not asking for more than they could give us. And we were prepared to do work to make it easier for them to give us what we wanted. So, you know, we had to start with like, when you're asking somebody for something, you might as well pretend that you're asking them for a ton of money. (laughs) (laughs) So we we thought about it the same way. Like these people, they're very busy. They deal in billions of dollars every single month. How, why should they spend the time to read this email? Which is a huge deal in itself. And then why should they respond? And then why should they cooperate, right? Like, so, like, there's, there's so many things. So, you know, actually, it's a funny story. So there's, there's a couple of things that I try to use to guide, to guide uh, how I think. I'm going to say them, and then, you know, it would be really fun, I think, if you could try to guess where I got them from. And okay. It's, like, okay. it's not, like, from a big philosophy book or anything, right? Two things. The biggest lie a man can tell to is to himself. Second thing, when the when the student is ready, the master will come. I've I've heard the second one for sure. Um, the first one sounds familiar. I can't I cannot identify the source. I'd be way off if I if I try. So it's the movie Zorro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 sure they've they've existed in other places, but for me, the first time I I experienced those two those two uh, things was watching this movie, and then obviously I still don't know what happened to the rest of Zorro because I started thinking about it. But it's uh, it's so interesting, right? Like because honesty, if if you honesty with yourself is the big is the first step to being honest with others. And with, with honesty with, uh, with self, it leads to conviction, it leads to fairness, uh, you know, because it's so easy to take the easy way out or also to justify taking the easy way out in some senses, right? Like you may go one level deeper and say, no, 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 I can justify why I'm taking this thing. But if you can't be honest with yourself about who you are, you know, for some people, they can act in a certain way and they're okay with it and nobody's judging anybody. But I have to act by the way that I'm okay with. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult to be honest with yourself. And especially in, in the context, you know, of um, this co-founder conversation that we had, I have to really be honest. Like, is this the right thing to do? And do I want to do it? Should I do it? So that, that's, and the second one is, uh, you know, it's so easy. Again, you know, it, so the, the internet is wonderful. People like you are wonderful because you provide for free I can go listen to your podcast and learn incredible things, gain experiences. It's a, a common excuse that I hear among some of my co-founders, not co- excuse me, not co-founders, but other co-founders uh, in the startup world is I don't have practice. I've never done this before. Nobody's ever taught me how to do this. Guess what? Nobody cares. Like nobody's like, nobody gives a, nobody gives a flying anything, right? Like they, they don't care. How do you, 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 it's up to you to, to teach yourself and you know, people learn in different ways. I, I negotiated with my wife. That's how I started. I was like, who, I need somewhere to practice. And so my wife and I started negotiating with you. Random things like, where should we put the flower vase, you know, and why? You know, it's like, <laughs> so it's like, she gets annoyed with me sometimes, but it's, uh, it's fun. And you, you know, it, it might seem silly, but it's, it, you learn a lot from it if you, if you just think about it the right way, I think. 
Yeah, no, it makes sense because you have to practice, and that's something we we talk about all the time. You know, it's a, you're, you. Yes, you could stay in this theoretical type of world, right? Talk, talk about the theories and strategies and, and tactics and everything, but until you actually start to practice it, it won't really feel great, right? And uh, something that I think is a bit under under uh, stated in your approach here is just the strength of your philosophy. It's because it's clear. There is there's clarity. And when you're clear and people understand you and they understand where you're coming from, it creates a lot of trust, right? Listen, Naveed's a straight shooter. If, if it's a tough conversation, he's going to have it. He's going to let me know how, I, how he feels about it, even if it's not a truth that will be fun or enjoyable to share, right? And so when people are, uh, they recognize the clear strength of your conviction and where it comes from, then people trust you. Even if people end up disagreeing with your ultimate decision, they trust you. And as a co-founder, your team is going to grow. You're going to have people who are going to invest, who are going to need to look at you as a leader and everything like that. And so they need to trust you. And even if they disagree, they will trust you to ultimately make the right decision and steer the ship. And I, I think that's really powerful. And even in these negotiations with vendors, for example, too, um, you're very clear with them. And it's kind of like your the the last um, philosophical phrase that you gave: when when the student is ready, the master will come. It, uh, it goes back to your your batna, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. In this situation, if this institution isn't ready, well, you know, then we we will stand strong, and we might have to pass on it. But you know where you stand, and then they take you seriously when you when you hold firm too. It, it's uh, it's powerful. I think you know. I, I, I there, I've been listening to uh, a sales leader I really admire recently. His name is Todd Capone, and he wrote a book called The Transparency Sale. Mm-hmm. And he always says this thing. He says every conversation you have, you're either building trust or you're eroding trust. And when I heard that, I was like, "Holy crap! How true! Like this is amazing!" <laughs> you know, it's like, it just rang so true. So it's really encouraging to hear that you know that you agree and that. that these things actually do work. Yeah. And, and I, I, one of the things that's so powerful about it in, is that it's, it's clear and that clarity leads, it, leads you to be more likely to execute, right? Because I almost wanted, I almost said easier. It's not easier to execute. Sometimes telling the truth is the hardest path to take, right? But at least you know what to do. Because you're not playing games. You're not playing games with yourself and you're not playing games with other people. So it becomes very clear and understandable what to do. And, um, and, and that ties into the first part of your philosophy, right? You, you, the first person you need to be honest with is yourself, right? And uh, that it, I really think that's really, it's brilliant because of the, the simplicity of application. Right, because we can give people all these really cool, um, complicated approaches, but if they don't understand it, then nobody's going to do anything about it. And you say, be honest, be clear, understand what your conviction is and why you believe this thing, and then articulate it to the other side. I, I have to give a lot of credit to my parents for for raising us in a certain way. That you know, as tempted, and you know, look. There are many times where I've done the opposite of these things. And then I have felt horrible or I've just failed in the thing because I wasn't being true to myself. So, you know, I think it's, it's really about being true to yourself and doing things that are, that are easy for, for you, even though it may be harder to, 
to execute, like you said. Absolutely, and and honestly too, they oh let's let's quote let's quote some uh, you know swordsman movies. I forget which 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 movie this was. I've never seen the movie, but I know the quote. Um, the uh, there was a uh, like a swordsman, and he was saying he was really good. He was very very good, like the best in the world. And he said, you know, why I'm so good. It's because I'm not afraid to die. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember which movie it was from, but he's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I need to do. And if I lose, I lose. And honestly, that's the, the framework I have in a negotiation too, because I, I say uh, sometimes the best, nego- the worst negotiation outcome is a negotiation that shouldn't have ended up in a deal. And oh. it's, you're, you're supposed to go there and see if a deal exists. Right. It might not. And then you can move on. That's exactly right. It doesn't have to. You, can't, you shouldn't force things. <laughs> I, I, I hundred, that's wonderful that I'm going to write that down. Yeah, no, this, is, <laughs> this is great. This is great. Well, fantastic. Well, with the time we have left, let's talk about the partners. And so when you talk about the difficult conversation with partners, um, let's, let's get a definition on the table with, uh, with regard to the way that you're using the term first, and then we'll jump into it. So I was thinking about it in terms of my wife, she's a major stakeholder in my life. We've agreed to spend our lives together. You know, she has made an investment just as we have invested in each other, right? Like, but so if I choose to do something like quit my job <laughs> yeah, and, and start this thing with, you know, with very little, with very little resources, I need to convince my wife that it's okay for me to do. I need to get her permission. Less convincing, but more, I need to get her permission because we are in this together. And she's my number one supporter. Nobody, she's the person, you know, my mom taught me, said, you know, Listen to what everybody else says, but guess what? At the end of the day, the person you spend the most time in your life with, more than your children, more than your parents, more than your co-founder, anybody, is your, is your partner, right? So for me, it's my wife. Like, and that's the person whose opinion and feelings that I value the most. So it's very important for me to, to make sure that I can get her permission, get her buy-in, because when I get her buy-in, then I can work without having to worry about somebody nagging me or, you know, if we can set the terms that, okay, you know, if I don't hit this milestone, then you can come and say, listen, we need you to think about something else right now. (laughs) So so we have those conversations often and, you know, yes, we we have missed a couple of milestones, but uh, we've had conversations about how she's the board member, man. Like that's how I think about her. <laughs> so, uh, okay, you know we're we this is how, this is our plan for the next three months. This is what we're going to do. This is how it translates to our personal lives, right? So it's not about necessarily business. It's about this is how it's going to affect us. These are the potential outcomes, and you know these are the the contingencies that if everything goes south, then you know this is what I will do, and this is the order I will do it in. And those those having those conversations continuously every three months or so has been very healthy for our relationship because you know, you've lived it yourself. Like it, starting something from scratch is so hard. It takes longer than you think. And you know, it, it, a lot of people have to help you get there. Success doesn't come by itself. You don't do it by yourself. So uh, yeah, she's my number one part supporter. This is great. Yep. Yeah, man. We are we are very similar in that regard. Because I mean, it, it's tough, as, especially when there's a, the, a bit of a violation of expectations too. Um, I mean, for my wife, my wife's a doctor and she married a lawyer. There's an anticipated uh, trajectory for that. And I was like, hey, you know what? I have something different in mind. <laughs> I, I know we just had a baby and everything, but let's try this thing out. <laughs> That's, it's tough to do. But I think the if you fail in those negotiations, it is the thing that will have the most negative impact on your life going forward. And people often overlook it. 
they often overlook it. And it's it's really problematic. And it's not just problematic in terms of the context of the of the relationship, but I think a lot of these hard charging business people often overlook the fact that it has a negative impact on the business. It has a negative impact on the business. I remember one time I was doing um, a negotiation coaching session with somebody. And so we, we started the coaching session. He was talking about uh, investors, how he wanted to get the investors on board, get a lot of startup funding and all that type of stuff. And, um, and I said, okay, so how does your fiance feel about all of this? He wasn't, you know, she was not completely on board with the way that things were going to move forward and everything like that. And he hadn't cleared some stuff with him. I said, hey, you know what? We're scrapping everything we were about to talk to, talk to, uh, we're going to talk about because that negotiation is the most important one. And I said, I look, I look at you and I know you are like me. You are the kind of person who will charge forward and do what it takes to make this work. You're very competitive. And I said, listen, dude. The thing that is going to sink you the fastest is girl problems. <laughs> we need to fix that now. And so we spent like two or three sessions working on that particular negotiation before moving on to what from the outside looking in would have seemed like the big, obvious negotiation, multi-million dollar startup funding deal. But we had to stop and focus at home to make sure that the foundation was secure. It's so important. It's so important because this is the person who you spend most of your time there you're big unless you you know you end up not doing that <laughs> which that, is another problem <laughs> that's a huge problem and, you know, i think one thing is that's important to recognize is that oftentimes there are many many factors at stake right it's not only i'm going to quit my job it's like okay what are we going to do about health insurance what are our contingencies we still have to figure out how to pay rent like all of those things are important right? and so there's many many things that you can talk about it's important to separate the concerns though between I, we're going to, in three months, we're going to have several million dollars. Everything's going to be great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like that, that, that's uh, obviously every startup founder, you know, wishes that that was the case, but unfortunate truth is most of us don't ever get there. So it's important to really, I found to separate the concerns about, okay, well, how is this going to affect home life? How are things going to be different? How is it going to affect business life? How are we going to, what's going to grow? Cause you still need to grow together with your partner. So how are we going to grow together? Yeah. And so from your perspective, what is something that is often overlooked with this particular conversation? It again comes down to honesty, right? Because a lot of the, so what does my, like my partner, she doesn't really care about the details, right? She knows that I'm doing something I love doing and that I am committed to helping people. That's what's important to her. She doesn't care about the details, but it is important for me to make sure that she, she understands the right details. What is going to increase our likelihood of failure? What is going to increase our likelihood of success? And that she can, she can appreciate that if I give her some information on that, she knows how to process it and then form her own opinions on, on what she thinks we should do next from our personal lives. And, you know, a lot of the times people gloss over that. It's like, what do you know about finance? Oh, you don't care about finance. It's like, it doesn't come from a bad place, right? It just comes like, oh, they don't care enough to, to really do this. And the next thing you know, it's a big surprise. It's like, what? I thought things were going well. You know? <laughs> but like, no, I told you last month that our blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, no. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I think we're coming full circle here because when we were talking about the, uh, the founders, the co-founders, one of the things that you mentioned, which I thought was brilliant, was understanding how to communicate with your co-founder essentially what is their love language 
Same thing here. We have to understand what matters to them because for Whitney, um, Whitney came from a background where uh, money didn't come easily. And so she was very um, concerned about making sure that everything was secure. Security was her main thing. Me, on the other hand, I, I, that wasn't an issue. Um, my dad's a surgeon. My mom uh, has a PhD in nutrition. She's a professor. So that was never a concern for me. It was just about pushing forward and, and getting degrees and seeing what we could do. And, um, and so I would get excited about ideas. And I thought there was a lot of capital in ideas, uh, like Kanye West. I want Zuckerberg to pay me a billion dollars for my ideas. Your ideas, though? No, that's not anything tangible. But I, so I would come with ideas, and Whitney's like, I need things that are more tangible. So I stopped telling Whitney about ideas and started telling Whitney about clients acquired. And so even if there was a longer runtime for the acquisition of the money from performing on those clients, um, she appreciated knowing that more. And so that made her feel more secure and lowered a lot of tension that we were having in the relationship. I was still having ideas. I just wasn't talking about them as much. I was giving her what she needed to know and what she really cared about. I think we have such similar experiences, honestly. My wife is from the same sort of background. I came from a similar background to you. And it really, it's tangible is extremely important. So that's, that's wonderful to hear. This is great. Well, Naveed, I know there's so much more we could talk about, but I think I want to wrap up with this. I know there are a lot of folks out here in the audience who have gone to school and have a lot of debt. So again, tell them about Dollar and, and how, they, how they can work with you. Go to getdollar.com, D-O-L-R, and, uh, and you know, if you like what you see, sign up. We, we, our, what we do is very simple. We find more, more money for your loan. So we help you figure out better ways to spend your own money. We get money from your employer and then money from the apps that you use. So more money equals debt gone away quicker. Love it. Naveed, thank you so much, my friend. We appreciate it. And hopefully you can come back on again soon. It's been such an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for having me, Kwame. My pleasure. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.